Welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Podcast with me, Chris Bowers, and this week it's all things Wimbledon. We'll hear from the coach of a young British player taking on tennis's man of the moment. We have Andy Murray talking about Roger Federer's chances. Daniel Medvedev tells us how his grass court game is shaping up. Francis TFO's coach Wayne Ferreira talks about what they've been working on. And in one of the matchups from round one at Wimbledon, we'll hear from both Sebastian Corder and Alex Diminor. But right now, I'm delighted to be joined by Joe Salisbury, one half of the world's fourth best doubles pair on this year's results. Joe, you had a good run at Eastbourne. You lost in the final, but hey, you and Rajiv Ram lost that final to the team that everyone's been losing to this year, Pavic and Mektic. So are you happy with the week? Yeah, we went into it kind of, obviously it's more of a preparation week for Wimbledon, kind of looking at it that way. We wanted to get some more matches, which which we did. And and yeah, we played well uh, for most of the week. It was disappointing that we didn't play as well in the final, but yeah, we went there and, and did what, what we needed to do to, to feel good going into Wimbledon. They are winning everything at the moment, Mektic and Pavic. What makes them so good? Is it just form or is there something about the way they gel together? Yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got Pavic, that's a very good server. It's tough to tough to break a serve when, when he's on, which he has been pretty much all the time this year. And then Mektic, very solid returner. And, and Pavic can also be, be strong on the returns in, in some games as well. Um, so I think now they're just on a great run. Obviously, they're feeling good, really confident. And I think teams go into playing them kind of feeling that they have to play really well and then sometimes maybe kind of overdo it and then and then don't play as well. And um, yeah, it's tough to sort of break that the run that they're on. You and Rajiv Ram have been together for a couple of years now. Um, how has the relationship changed? I mean, at the beginning, he was very much the senior partner. Did you get a sense over a, a, a period that you grew into being a pair of equals? Yeah, we definitely feel like that. I think, yeah, at the start, I definitely felt like he was kind of, yeah, like you said, the senior player. Obviously, he'd been on the tour a lot longer. He'd achieved a lot more than than I had. But yeah, we don't we don't really look at it look at it that way. Obviously, we've been playing together together a long time, and I think um, yeah, we respect each other a lot and value each other's games, and and we've kind of grown as a team to understand each other a lot better. Um, and that's helped helped us sort of improve gradually over the years. And so this week it's been announced that you'll be playing with Andy Murray in the Olympics. So a new partner, uh, also somebody with a great reputation. How is that going to be in terms of the dynamic? Um, to be honest, I don't really know. Um, I think obviously it's an incredible sort of it's an incredible thing for me to to be to be playing with him at the Olympics. I mean, just for me to be playing my first Olympics is is really sort of special, really special thing. Um, but to be playing with him, such a, I mean, such a legend of the game. I mean, it's it's going to be, uh, yeah, a bit of a bit of a surreal experience, I suppose. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, I've got to know Andy better over the last last few years. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's such a good guy, easy to get on with. Um, very, yeah, he's just very down to earth. I mean, once you're kind of around him, you sort of forget forget who he is and what he's what he's achieved. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't really know what to be, what it will be like to be honest. Um, but I'll find out. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll do some do some training together after Wimbledon and and once we get out there. Um, but yeah, I I don't know what it'd be like, but I'm sure I'll enjoy it. How did it come about? I mean, there'd been a kind of lot of lot of discussions with the the players, the the coaches with the LTA about yeah who was going to partner who. Um, 
it's been talked about that I I play with Neil. Um, that Neil Skapsky. With Neil Skapsky, yeah, and that seemed to make sense. Wasn't really sure what Andy was doing at the time. I don't think he was he was sure as well. But then he made um, showed his interest in in playing the doubles as well. And I think because of my top ten ranking, that that would mean he could get into the doubles as well. So then, yeah, to make yeah, kind of the it was a bit of a group decision um, about who I'd play with, and I kind of put my my preference for for playing with Andy just because yeah, I mean just because of who he is and it I think yeah, he's an incredible, incredible player and to play the Olympics with him would be be really special and, and I think we could do really well. Well I saw you got him a good practice partner at Wimbledon yesterday. He was hitting with Roger Federer, so uh, you obviously got him uh, well trained. Yeah, I saw that. Um I mean have you played any practice sets with with Andy or is it will you start completely from scratch? Um, no, never have, never have. Um, yeah, I mean, the only time I've been on the court with him, I think, is when we played the Queen's final a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been been around him a lot at the NTC, um, and yeah, we'll get on court together before the Olympics, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it'll be a be a new experience, but I don't think it will it will feel too strange after a while. I mean, he's obviously. Played a lot of doubles um, with with Jamie and Davis Cup, and and worked with doubles the doubles coaches and kind of those similar sort of doubles system that that we play. So I don't think it'll take too long to to get used to it to playing together. But you're not going to play any tournaments be, between Wimbledon and the Olympics. You're just going to play practice sets in Tokyo. Yeah, we won't play anything before because we're going. I think the weekend after the finals of Wimbledon. Um, so, yeah, we'll just have have that week, and then we'll be going out there, and then we'll be there. I think five days before, and just training out there. You talked about how the British players often hang together um, at the National Tennis Centre in London, um, and the fact that you've obviously worked with uh, Andy Murray in, 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 as part of the British setup. We talked a lot over the recent years about how the, the French really hang together. Is there the same sense of solidarity among the British players that you all follow each other, you all chat, you practice when necessary, um, that, that actually you are part of a broad team, even if, as in your case, you have a regular partner who is not British? Yeah, I think so. It's, it's definitely seen that way. Um, yeah, I think especially after the, after the Battle of the Brits event last year, it kind of brought everybody a bit, a bit closer together. Um, but yeah, it's a great kind of atmosphere at the tournaments between yeah the Brits hanging out a lot together, watching each other's matches, supporting each other, following their progress, and yeah, it does feel like you're part of a little bit like you're part of part of the team, which is great because obviously you're out there out there on your own usually, and um, it's nice to to feel like there's other people supporting you and kind of people that you're can can always hang out with if if you want to. So yeah, it, it does feel that way. You mentioned the Battle of the Brits. This was a COVID-induced tournament because none of you could travel. That you ended up playing against only British players. Um, how how weird was that? Given that you're uh, normally on the on the global tour most of the time, it was a bit strange. And I think, but I think it kind of exceeded everyone's expectations. It was an amazing event. I think obviously everyone was really looking forward to competing and wanting to compete after the time off that we had. But it really filled that filled that gap so well, and everybody got into it so much. We had the kind of individual event before, and then we had the team event, which was 
was so much fun. Um, I think most of the players love playing any kind of team event, any chance they get. And um, yeah, everybody just really, really got into it and it was really competitive, but also a lot of fun. So um, yeah, it was great that we had that while yeah we couldn't play any tournaments. So what's your reaction when you hear that a young British player, Jack Draper, has drawn the great Novak Djokovic in the first round at Wimbledon? Yeah, I laughed a little bit of that. I mean, it's tough. I mean, well, you can't really get anything more more difficult than that. But I mean, it's an incredible, incredible experience for him. I think he's the sort of guy that, well, I, I don't know him too well, but I feel like he will sort of rise to the occasion and and I think he will he'll show all the all that he's got um i mean i can't say that i think he'll cause an upset but i think he will he will put a put up a good performance and and hopefully yeah take a lot from it and how is wimbledon as a tournament for you because i mean you you live nearby i mean it's it's your it's your local event i mean do you go there as a boy on your bicycle and now you sort of get official courtesy cars or i mean how has it changed for you given that you've become a player yeah i mean it's definitely changed a lot i mean i grew up in putney just down the road from wimbledon and yeah, I'd go there every year. I mean, I'd probably go there five or six times during the during the tournament. Every every chance I could get, just to go down there, walking around most of the time, just with the ground passes, walking around, watching all the matches, just soaking it all in. Um, and yeah, obviously dreaming of of playing there. Um, now, obviously, it's become obviously the first sort of first time I played there was an incredible experience. And now, obviously like anything the more you do it the, the more you kind of get used to it and it's more about the business of yeah trying to do as well as you can in the tournament and not kind of thinking about how so much how special it is but I think with Wimbledon you still do keep a bit of that or keep more of that than at some of the other tournaments just because of just what a, an incredible and, and special place it is so um, obviously I, I do get really excited every time I go back there. How old were you when you first went and what do you remember about it? I can't actually remember um, the first time. I mean, I was probably probably very young, probably about five or six when I first went. The first thing I, time I remember, I think I was, I think I must have been nine because I think it was, I can't remember the year actually. I think it was maybe 2001 when, I think was that when Hewitt won? And I think I watched. He won in 2002. Oh, was it 2002? Yeah. So I remember I watched the semi-finals. I was on court. Well, it would have been on centre court. I think I watched Xavier Melise and now Bandian. That was on court one because of rain. Was that court one? Yeah, because that was the one where Melise had to have a long um, injury assessment uh, late in the first set. Yeah, that's a good, good memory for me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's kind of the first yeah match that I really remember watching there. And was there a point at which you had to make a conscious adjustment? This is not my fan shrine. This is actually just a place of work. Yeah, I mean, I think it changed a little bit the the second time that I played there in in 2018 when uh, when I made the semi-finals with Freddie Nielsen. Because um, I think even that year before, lost first round, and then second year, I was still wasn't really playing on the tour. I was playing mostly challengers and had another wild card there and um yeah it was still kind of just just soaking up the experience and then obviously we made that great run and then kind of realized that wow yeah I can actually could actually do quite well here and um realized that I could be challenging it at the Grand Slam so I think after that it changed a little bit of like 
yeah, I'm getting to the Grand Slams and I, I want to win it rather than just enjoying being there. And you made a bit of history uh, two years ago when you were involved in the first ever 12-all tiebreak. Yeah, not uh, not too fond memories looking back on that one. Um, yeah, because well, you lost to Continent Appears. Lost 13-12 in the fifth set. Um, but yeah, that was an amazing match. And yeah, we were two sets down. Um, then came back to two sets all. We were five all in the fifth set, and then had to had to stop for for the light, and then came back the next day, and then uh, then yeah, lost uh, lost the tiebreak at twelve all. Um, so yeah, I mean, I suppose it's nice to have that that record, I suppose. But it would be a lot nicer if we'd if we'd come out on the other side of it. And has that left you with an opinion on whether the uh, Wimbledon system of a first to seven tiebreak at twelve all is? the best one or whether do you prefer the Australian system of first to 10 at six all or the American first to seven at six all or the French no tie break? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it's strange how, yeah, every one of the Grand Slams is, has a different system to the end. Um, but I think it, I think it is good the, the Wimbledon, what Wimbledon has now, because I think it's, it's good once you get to a, a fifth set that you kind of, you don't just suddenly have a tie break to, to decide the match um, that you do have a little chance to kind of go on and win it outright because I do think that the tradition of kind of carrying on in the final set is is good but obviously you can get the kind of crazy matches like obviously the the Isna Mahu and then I think it was the Anderson and um, Isna oh it was Anderson and Isna again yeah that really long one um, so I think it is good that it doesn't doesn't carry on for forever um, so I think, yeah, I, I do like that system of having having the 12 all tiebreak. As we go into Wimbledon, any particular players stand out or any first round matches that stand out for you? Anything that will catch your eye? I mean, obviously the Draper, Djokovic, I think everybody's, everybody's going to be watching that one. Um, and then also for the Brits, I think I saw that Evo was playing against Feliciano Lopez, um, which I thought is obviously quite a quite a tough draw on the, on the grass um yeah there's there's a lot of um interesting first rounds where the kind of either the young guys coming coming up or guys that are just out outside the seedings against against the seed so there's some some really tough draws and even though you're a professional focused obviously on the doubles and on the mixed as well you're a mixed doubles champion now having uh, won in uh, paris with desiree Kravchik. congratulations on that um do you still find yourself a bit of the fan where you think, oh, I'll see how Kyrgios is getting on. I'll see how Federer is doing. I'll even see my doubles, new doubles partner, Andy Murray, how he's getting on against Bazlashvili. Do you find yourself interrupting your own rhythm just to keep an eye on, uh, on, on the fan favourites? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm still, a, still a tennis fan. I mean, I watch, I watch a lot. I watch as much as I can when I'm, when I'm not playing. I watch the doubles, I watch the singles. Um, and yeah, obviously the the bigger tournament, obviously at Wimbledon, I'm I'm going to be keeping an eye, especially especially on all the Brits. Um, but yeah, any of the any of the big matches, I think it's the same for for a lot of the players. I mean, most of the guys they love tennis. They we want to see what's what's going on and and following all the other matches, seeing what's happening. And um, yeah, I know that even if I wasn't even if I wasn't there playing, I'd want to be going and and being there just. Uh, just watching the matches. Well, look, all the very best. I hope it's an interesting experience being in a hotel for Wimbledon and uh, I hope you do very well in the 
men's doubles and the mixed doubles. And uh, yeah, good luck in the Olympics as well. Thanks very much. Well, as Joe Salisbury pointed out, one of the most anticipated matches from round one at Wimbledon is likely to be the defending champion Novak Djokovic opening his campaign against the British teenager Jack Draper. Earlier in the week, Anne-Marie Batson spoke to James Trotman, a consultant coach with the British governing body the Lawn Tennis Association and part of Draper's team at the Queen's Club in London. This week, obviously, I think hopefully is going to be a really important week in his future career, you know, to play at this level at, at the biggest stage. We've always believed in Jack. Jack believes in himself. But to actually get out there and, and to perform to that level, the next thing is to, to be there. You know, there's, there's a lot of work still to do where his ranking's at, to become a regular player on tour who doesn't need wild cards to get in. Um, so really after the kind of hectic grass court swing for the Brits, it will be back to work, you know, get, getting his conditioning better, making the body robust, developing his game. Um, and getting out there on the Challenger Tour and trying to make a, make a name for himself. How do you, though, instill belief and confidence in a young player who believes he has that already? Well, like, I think it's, there's nothing like doing it. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Part of our job as a support team, um, uh, so Ryan Jones is, is his lead coach from Jet Academy, who does a fantastic job, and I'm there to support um, from the Lawn Tennis Association, the LTA's perspective as a consultant coach and to fill in whenever needed. And part of our job is to instill confidence in players. You know, it's, it's the little talks you're going to have with them. It's, it's how you set up the drills so the player's achieving. It's making sure that you're finishing sessions on a positive note. Um, but equally, there are difficult and tough conversations that had to be, have to be had with the player as well. So it's a bit of a, a balancing act. But the, for him and his coaching team, really, you know, the, the guys that are putting it in, as I mentioned before, Ryan Jones, um, Jack himself, these guys, you know, the, they're, they're working incredibly hard. This is their life. There's a huge sacrifice and it's a tough sport, I think, you know, which, you know, I'm sure you're aware of speaking to a lot of the players and coaches. There's lots of ups, lots of downs, but it's nice recognition, you know, that you, this is why you train. This is why you put the hard work in. This is why you put yourself in pressure situations, you, you train at a higher intensity, you ch challenge yourself physically so that when you are in those moments, you're more, you're more willing to cope with it. You mentioned earlier about distractions. Jack is a young lad. He's probably having, you know, his mobile phone's probably not too far away from him. How do you manage that, you know, social media and the mobile phone? He's, he's, pretty, he's pretty switched on with that. I mean, the biggest thing for him, it's the mental fatigue that creeps in, in in these events he's playing on a on the bigger stage than he's used to um he's playing against the best players in the world so there are no you can't lapse you can't switch off at this level and then it's it's what happens like you said off the court and you know the interviews and various different things i mean our, our job is to try and normalize it you know to, to try and give him keep the routines the same here's your day this is what it's going to look like we're getting up at Eight, you're having your breakfast here, you know, you've got your, your warm up going at this time, then you're going to have some food, a little snack, practices now, after practice, you'll cool down, shower, more food, see the trainer, see the physio, get a flush, you know, massage through your body, rackets in. So you're just, you're trying to kind of keep the routine, I think, as close to the, the, the same as possible, you know, and I think giving them the structure in the day can really help with that. What does it mean to you and to Coach Ryan that he has got this wild card and he will now be able to compete on the main tour? 
it's trying to keep things in perspective. You know, it's it's a fantastic, um, you know, for the All England Club and the LTA to to award the wild card to to Jack is a fantastic opportunity for him. But it is an opportunity, and for us, it's you know, for me especially, and, and Ryan will think the same. It's what's he going to learn from it? What's this environment going to show him? Because ultimately, that's where we want to get to. He's there on a wild card, and we want him to get there on his own ranking. And you have to experience these situations to make those moves and see what the next level feels like and what, what I need to improve, what I need to keep developing, um, and also what, what's working great, you know, what, what actually is pretty good out there. So it, it's part of his learning curve to get him ultimately playing on the tour week in, week out. That was James Trotman, who will be in the Centre Court Players' Enclosure on Monday at 1.30pm London time for the Defending Champions' traditional opener. That's half an hour later than normal this year as part of making Wimbledon COVID-compliant. Also on the Monday order of play will be the 2013 and 2016 champion Andy Murray. And as I referenced earlier, Murray's already been on the Wimbledon practice courts this week, hitting with Roger Federer. Not surprisingly, therefore, Murray was asked about his views of the great Swiss and whether this could be Federer's final Wimbledon. But Murray was quick to point out that we should simply make the most of all the moments these legends spend on court. I've heard quite a few times over the years that that he was going to stop um, and people have been speculating on that at different times over... I remember when he lost to Tommy Robredo, I think it was, at the US Open. I remember lots of people talking about that then and that was like... I don't know if that was like eight, nine years ago or something. I mean, I don't know whether whether he's going to stop playing this year or not. Um, I'd be surprised if he did the way that he is still able to, to play and compete. He seems like he still loves it. Um, but yeah, in terms of what he's contributed, I mean, I think he... He's, he's not the first one to do it, but he certainly transcended the sport. He's a, you know, a global sporting icon, uh, which you know, like I said, there has been some before in, in tennis, but I'm not sure how many have done it like him. Um, I don't know, he's extremely well respected in the world of sport. And it's not just because of the way that um, the amount he's won, just the way that he's obviously gone about things and the way that he's played the game um, as well. Um, I think he's always felt that sense of responsibility to, to the sport and to the media and how he sort of presents himself and stuff and yeah he's been a great great ambassador for for tennis and a great role model i think for lots of young players um you know to to look up to i personally like i'd always seen him as like a competitor and someone i was competing against and like a rival i'm not saying i <laughs> certainly haven't achieved anything near like what he had done but a lot of my career was competing against him and, you know, big tournaments and important matches and stuff. Um, so I didn't always look at him as like a, a role model, but like watching him at the French Open and stuff the other day, I, I mean, I obviously sent a thing on social media about it, but it's like, you know, it's, it's amazing what, what he's, he's still doing and, and trying to do for yeah, sport that he, he clearly loves. So, um, yeah, he's been, he's been brilliant and I hope he keeps playing for as long as he, he can. And, yeah, I, I just don't, I don't quite understand the, because I've experienced it myself, the sort of why people want to always ask those questions about when someone is going to finish. Like, he'll do it when, when he's ready. And, um, you know, I wish everyone just <laughs> sort of like, 
encouraging like to keep going and keep keep playing as as long as long as he can as long as his his body can do it because we'll we'll miss him when it's uh, when it's over we certainly will and if this global pandemic has taught us anything it's to value what we have today because who knows what's just around the corner with all the focus on Djokovic going for his 20th major title and Federer and Murray both back We've rather overlooked the number two seed, Daniel Medvedev, but he travels to Wimbledon after a good week in Mallorca, where he picked up his second title of the year, and he opens on Tuesday against the dangerous German Jan-Leonard Struff in one of the matches of the first round. We're going to see this year, but uh, normally uh, I like grass. Before was my, uh, my favourite surface, before I've done some amazing results on hard courts, so on how it's hard courts. But usually I really like playing on grass. Um, the only thing I think that's the surface where we get the most sensations because some matches you can play the thing with grass, you can play really good and you can lose. If you play a big server or somebody who does a serve and volley well and stuff like this, you can lose in a tiebreaker. But uh, I enjoy playing grass and uh, I really like the surface itself. It's green, it's uh, calm, I would say. I think the most important uh, thing on grass is concentration, even if it's important everywhere is concentration especially on your serve because your serve is the key you know sometimes you can lose a break and it's going to be enough to lose a set more than on any other surface and uh, when you have this mindset it's going to be much easier to 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 be on the return also and to put pressure on your opponent another potential blockbuster will be between Stefanos Tsitsipas who's now number three seed after his five set final at Roland Garros and the American Francis Tiafo. Recently on ATP Tennis Radio, Tiafo's coach, the former Wimbledon quarter-finalist Wayne Ferreira, told Seb Lozier what he and Tiafo have been working on. Well, he's great. He's a great person, funny kid, got a good personality, uh, very relaxed in a lot of different ways. Uh, sometimes has to be a little bit more serious. So we're working on the, you know, trying to keep the aspects that are great about him in regards to being everyone's friend and, and having a likeable personality, but working around sort of some of the things of growing up, having more responsibilities, more investment in the game. Uh, you know, there's, so, there's a lot of good about him, but a lot he still has to learn. I was going to ask you how you make him more consistent, because physically he just looks... He's in such great shape, but yeah. the results haven't necessarily come, and, and there have been some injuries. How do you make him more consistent? Well, first of all, I mean, he's, he's got a great body structure and he's a strong boy, but he actually wasn't in very good shape when we first started, so we've been working really hard on the physical side, getting him into a much better physical condition, which we all know that when you're feeling physically good, it helps the mental side a little bit too. Um, we've been working on some structural things on the game, serve, serve volleys, forehand, and that kind of stuff, but also trying to spend a lot more time on just the, the day-to-day stuff, getting more invested from start of matches to finishing, concentration, focusing, investment, trying to you know stay longer in matches, fight harder. I just do those little things that make big differences. You know, you look at matches and matches are won and lost by a point here and there, and trying to make him more aware of you know the finer details and, and the importance of those little things. Um, but you know, for us, it's a day-by-day process. We're happy with what we did yesterday. I just would like him to go out tomorrow and invest himself and do the right things you know always tell him that you go out and do the right thing and the you know the outcome is 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 not always in your hands but if you go and put the best efforts in hopefully it turns your way so your appetite for winning was ferocious it sounds like you're just the same as a coach yeah but it's also it's also more just uh, feeling an accomplishment at the end of the day if you don't win you don't win but you know if you go out to battle each day and you put in 100 percent, you can't feel bad about the outcome it's the days where you don't put in the effort and you don't try as hard as you can that you leave the court not feeling like you, you did what you came out to do. So I'm just trying to, you know, win or, win or loss, it's not really the most important, it's the effort put in to get to the end. Wayne Ferreira talking work ethics in connection with his charge, Francis Tiafo.
Everywhere you look in the Wimbledon draw, there are fantastic matchups. Another to catch the eye is the clash between Australia's inform Alex de Minor and Sebastian Corder, the American whose Czech dad Petra got to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon in 1998. Corder spoke to Anne-Marie Batson this week about his previous experiences at Wimbledon. I didn't have the greatest relationship uh, in juniors. Uh, I made the semifinals in, in doubles, but uh, I always lost first or second round at Wimbledon. Um, but I've never really had like a, a real proper um, training week on on the grass. Um, I was with my my fitness trainer in in the Czech Republic in Prague uh, at our club, and we were kind of just moving around on on uh, a couple of soccer fields and kind of just getting the feel of it. And then I came here super early. I was here already Wednesday practicing, so I have a lot of a lot of practice sessions under my belt. And 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 yeah, I'm just feeling super comfortable. And I think the grass suits my game, and I'm really enjoying myself. How are you going to deal with the increased awareness of you, Sebi Corder, making his appearance at Wimbledon as a senior pro? I'm not going to be too worried about what how what people say about me, but uh, I think just getting the chance to play my first Wimbledon. Uh, I've never played qualies either, so this is basically my first Wimbledon is going to be straight to the directly to the main draw. So it's going to be super cool. I'm going to have my dad there and my coach Dean Golfine and my physio. So I'm going to have the time of my life. Um, Hopefully I can get some really good practices with with some top players and uh, and just kind of learn and, uh, and yeah, just keep enjoying myself. And how do your parents, Petter and Regina, and also Coach Dean, how do they keep you so grounded? Because you seem so relaxed. Yeah, I don't know. My my parents are 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 super big believers in just baby steps and and you're doing something that you love and not very many people can do it. So so enjoy the most of it as much as you can and. I have a really great support system around me, my parents and both my sisters. And I have Dean Goldfine, I have Andre Agassi, and uh, I've just added a physio to my team. And and having kind of like a team around me, traveling with with two people, three people, it's uh, it feels like I'm a, a real professional now. And and it's it's been a lot of fun. Sebi, why is the mental side of the game so important to you? I think my mom just kind of installed it into my head ever since I I started playing tennis to to kind of have a poker face and, and never let your opponent see you, how you're really feeling and, and what's going on. So I think it's a really big, uh, a really big tool for me. And, and I think I use it pretty well. How good is your poker face? <laughs> you tell me, <laughs> I don't know. I, my, my girlfriend always asked me, why are you always so mad on court? And I was like, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, how did you learn about making that transition from junior tennis to the main tour? Yeah, it definitely uh, it definitely took me a couple of years. I, I spent uh, I think uh, two years basically on playing futures and and traveling the world and, and playing kind of the smaller events, and then and then I slowly graduated myself to to the challenger circuit, and and now I'm here. But uh, it definitely took a lot, a little bit more time than than some other of the of the guys on tour here. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm super grateful for for the journey that I took, and I think it really helped me build the character and the the player that I am today. Why do you think it's taking a little bit more time? Did you expect that or are you happy with the pace that things are going at right now? I think my parents, they, they always said like baby steps. There's, there's no rush. You can, if you have a, if you're healthy, you can play tennis until you're 35 and some people are playing till they're basically 40 right now. So, so it's a lot of time on tour and, and there definitely shouldn't be, shouldn't be any rush to get here as, as quick as possible. But 
I think, uh, I think, yeah, I think it really helped me kind of playing the smaller tournaments. I was in, at one point I was in Turkey for, for six weeks and basically by myself and just, and just battling. And, uh, I think that was one of the, the biggest moments in, in my career where I really said, okay, this is where I got to dig deep and, and really show my, just, just show my true character. And I suppose the fun side is watching yourself develop and grow as a player on the tour. How far would you like to go while keeping your feet on the ground, Sevi? <laughs> as a tennis player, um, I would definitely love to win two Grand Slams just to have one, one up on my dad. <laughs> no, but uh, I, def- I would definitely. He's never been number one in the world either, so, oh. so there's there's some, there's some competition oh. there, but. Uh, <laughs> I would definitely love to win a Grand Slam and uh, and definitely be number one in the world, but that's still a long way to go and a lot of hard work to get there. Nice little family rivalry going on there. And what of the man Corder plays in round one? Alex Diminor, who reached the semi-finals at Queen's and won the title in Eastbourne. I was lucky enough to have a, a tournament uh, before in Stuttgart to kind of get acclimated to, to the grass again, but it's, um, it's a transition that I feel quite comfortable doing. Uh, uh, probably helps that I enjoy uh, the grass so much that I can mentally uh, prepare myself for that transition. And yes, uh, I've been playing some some great tennis, getting better each week. So it's all important uh, to hopefully peak uh, at Wimbledon. What's your first memory of the championships, not as a player? I mean, there's, uh, there's plenty. Uh, you know, there are uh, numerous... Nadal Federer finals uh, going to five sets. That's uh, remember watching it on the TV all the time, and uh, I, I was very impatient. So, kind of halfway through a set, or if a set was finished, I would go outside and and kind of practice on the wall what I, I had just watched Roger do uh, in the final. So, yeah, that's probably my my earliest memory. Of course, you made your debut in 2018. You reached the third round to face a certain Rafael Nadal. How do you reflect on your debut performance at Wimbledon in 2018? Yeah, it was a definitely special. Uh, I was able to play Rafa uh, on centre court at Wimbledon. Uh, a very, very special feeling um, just to have the walk onto centre court and, and to see what it all meant. It, it was... Uh, an incredible, incredible uh, feeling. But obviously, now that I've done that once, uh, I'll be ready for it next time. And, and hopefully I can go out there and, and play a good match and, and just have it as any other match. So Diminor versus Corder among the eye-catching early matches at Wimbledon. And as well as the ones we've mentioned during this show, it's also worth looking out for Nick Kyrgios against Ugo Umber, the Halle champion. Hubert Horkash versus Lorenzo Musetti. Musetti, the 19-year-old, among the many Italians taking their place in the draw. Plus the one Joe Salisbury identified in our chat, Daniel Evans against Feliciano Lopez. That could be a cracker. So that's it for now. My thanks to all of this week's guests, especially to Joe Salisbury for joining me earlier on his last day before going into the Wimbledon hotel bubble. I'm Chris Bowers. Please do check back in with me next weekend when we'll be looking back on the first week of action and looking ahead to week two of Wimbledon. In the meantime, enjoy the tennis. Listener.